Nick and Jessica are from Duluth. They're uh, local people that went out on the mission field. They're doing awesome work. Praise God. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to follow Christ. We're in the task series, week two, talking about we are on a mission from God. If we are believers, if we are followers of Christ, we are on a mission from God. There's two general ways of thinking out there in the Western world. One is everything that exists is just the product of random chance. Nothing means anything. Here we are. Let's just look around and figure out what we want to do because there is no meaning behind it. We just happen to be here accidentally. And then there is, there is a cosmic plan. God created the universe with history in mind, with an end game in mind, and he's putting people in place to do his will and his calling throughout history as everything unfolds. And from that perspective, we don't just look around and figure out what we want to do. We discern what has God called me to do? Who does God want me to be, both uh, in action and in character. Who does God want me to be? And so we have to look at our task. What has God called us to do? Understanding we are on a mission from God is an essential part of being a Christian, understanding how we're supposed to live our lives. Key verse that we talked about last week was John fifteen sixteen, And here it is. Jesus was talking to his disciples, small group meeting, Uh, giving them lots of inside information, and here's what he says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You did not choose me. Is that how you feel? That you didn't choose Jesus, but Jesus chose you? Let me tell you, you can respond to Jesus choosing you, but... If he doesn't choose you, what leg do you have to stand on? You can't force your way into that relationship. You have to be invited in, right? We can't force our... Now, thankfully, the blood of Christ is sufficient for every human being on the planet. And so everyone is invited. We talked about that, week, la- we talked about that last week. Many are invited. Few are chosen. How do you go from being invited to chosen. It's about how you respond to the call of God, how you respond when Jesus says, follow me. Last week, we talked about three different examples of people in the Bible who were called by God, who were told, do this. The first one was Moses. There was a burning bush The voice of God came from inside the bush and talked to Moses. And Moses responded to that with this. I think you've got the wrong guy. That's the most rational response to the call of God. Because if you look at yourself and you look at what God is asking you to do, you're going to think to yourself, I think God has the wrong person. Because I don't think I can do that. That's what Moses thought. And God put up with him for quite a while. And then finally got mad at him. Like, Moses, come on. You know, deal with this. So that can be a very natural response to God's call is, I think you got the wrong person. Then we talked about Jonah. 
Jonah's response to God's call, God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go preach against Nineveh, was, forget it. No chance. You can take your call and you can just walk because I'm out of here. And he gets on a boat and he takes off in the other direction and, you know, it didn't go real well. They threw him overboard and stuff. And you might know the story about the fish that swallowed him and then threw him up where he was supposed to be going in the first place. And uh, apparently they worshipped whales or something. I don't know. It, it fit into their mythology to where a dude gets barfed up on the shore. It got everybody's attention. So that's what I've heard. So it was very effective as far as, if you noticed, uh, people responded after Jonah got barfed up on the shore. But that wasn't the right attitude towards the call of God, was it? Forget it. That may be the most common response to the call of God, is no. I don't want to. I'm going to resist. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to... I don't want to. That may be the most common response. Then we talked about Noah. God said to Noah, see that field over there? I want you to build a boat that's a football field and a half long, three decks high, build a roof over the top of it with an 18-inch gap all along it, and then put as much food in there as you possibly can. And Noah's response was, all right, sir, yes, sir. And he did everything just the way God told him to. That's the best response to the call of God, is to say, yes, I will, and to follow through. This week, we're going to talk about our highest priority in our mission. So let's pray. We'll get into new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for your truth. Lord, I thank you that we aren't just a product of random chance wandering around trying to do the best we can. But Lord, we can seek you. We can get guidance from you by your spirit and by your word. Lord, guide us today. Help us to see what you've got for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The highest priority, the most excellent way, the most important commandment, our mission is to be people of love. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to follow Christ into being a person of love. Way back in Bible times, there was a guy that asked Jesus a question, and I like this guy because I'm a bottom line sort of a person. The details just make me dizzy, and I want to know, okay, what difference does it make? And so this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, what's the most important thing? That's a great question. So we pick that up in Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In Mark, it adds strength. In Deuteronomy, where this is a quotation from, it says strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's who you are, your being. With all your mind, your understanding, and with all your strength, you know, put some labor into it. Put your back into loving God. Love God with all of who you are. That's the greatest commandment. Verse 38. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
I always say that before we read verse 38. It's crazy stuff because it's true. And this is the second. Now, did the guy ask him, what are the two greatest commandments? No. So whenever Jesus answers a different question than what was asked, you've got to pay attention. Because it's incomplete to say, hey, our job is to love God, have a personal relationship with Jesus, to love God. And these other people can just go deal with it, you know. But I'm loving God because our mission is to be people of love, not just with God, but with the others that we deal with in this life. It's something that cannot be forgotten and it can't even be set aside when the question is, what's the most important thing? Because this guy was going to go home and do the most important thing. But it was important enough to say, hey, and don't forget the next one because you can't lose this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40 is a hugely important verse. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets, that would be the Bible. All of the truth of God hangs on these two commandments. Meaning, if we get these wrong, the rest of it's not going to work. If we don't love God, our faith is going to be a confusing mess. If we don't love people, it isn't going to work. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we'd better get this right. Amen? We better Because your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to follow Christ. And the most important thing in that is to be a person of love. To be a person who has a love relationship with the living God. We'll talk about various types of relationships you can have with God. A person who loves others like they love themselves. Now be careful. Uh, If you're really depressed and you don't like yourself, that's not an excuse. You need to get to love you in the eyes of God and then love others like that. Okay? Is... Is loving God and loving your neighbor the only groups of people Jesus said we should love? Should we love God, love our neighbor? Jesus has actually two more categories of people that we are supposed to love. Make an active, specific commitment to love. That we have been tasked to love. The next one is in John chapter 13, the gospel of John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says... He's talking to the small group in this one. A new command I give you. Love one another. Does that sound new? Here's a new concept for you. Why don't you love each other? This has been going on since the beginning, right? But then he adds this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to love your brothers and sisters in Christ fellow believers, the same way that Jesus has loved you. How has Jesus loved you? Oh man, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us in word. He loves us in action. 
He loves us profoundly, whatever we goof up. Amen? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is our mission, to love each other. This is the believers loving other believers, the sons and daughters of God loving each other. And then there's a promise in verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's an implication. It's not just do this. It's do this and here will be the result. The result will be that the world on the outside will believe that you are disciples of the living God. The world will believe that. Now, if all the law and the prophets hang on the first two, and if we mess that up, it messes up everything, what if, instead of the believers loving each other like Jesus loves us, what if instead we were very critical of believers? And we were like, you know what? Those people over there are just messing everything up. They're bad people. And the church board is pulling power plays and causing all kinds of problems. And there's strife. And people are like, oh, I don't think I like the carpet dance. You know, and that sort of thing. What if all that stuff is going on and people are fighting and squabbling and there's all kinds of difficulties? What then? Would the world look at us and say they must be followers of the one true God? No. Then we get Romans 2.24, which says this. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. If we fail, we show our God to be a fool. That's not okay. We must love one another. Now, I know this is true because I haven't been a Christian my whole life. And I've been one of those people who has said... Whoever those goofballs are following has got to be something. The name, God's name, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We want to love one another, not just because, man, is that a beautiful thing, but because it's a testimony to this world that there is a power for love and beauty and strength, and joy, and forgiveness in this world. It's a testimony. We have a responsibility. So we're to be people of love. We're supposed to love God, love our neighbor, which is just whoever you happen to run into. Love our brothers and sisters in Christ, each other. And then there's another category. Are you having fun? You feeling challenged so far? But you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh my goodness. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What does persecute mean? It means they are actively trying to harm you. They are in the process of trying to harm you. Now, it's okay to protect yourself, 
right? Turn the other cheek can be taken uh, in the wrong context. When you're helping someone and they just keep slapping you around, you know, it's like helping the dog with the broken leg. Dog's going to bite you, but you've got to help. You turn the other cheek. Just being exploited and just letting yourself be victimized is not what that's talking about. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Man, oh man, let's keep reading. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, if you want to be a child of God, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Then you're sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So what Jesus is saying is you don't need, you don't need divine intervention in your heart to be able to love people who are nice to you, to love people who give you benefits. That You don't need God for that. You want to be a child of God, you've got to love people who are hard to love. You've got to love people. You know, the, the unlovable aren't the impoverished in India. They're the people in your life that are causing you problems. <laughs> Those are the unlovable. The ones that are in your face. They're the ones hard to deal with. And then verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfect in that the invitation has been given out to everyone. Do you want to be forgiven? You sure can. Do you want to come in? You sure can. Depends on how you respond to the invitation, but you you sure can. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to love God. Is to love people, your neighbor, just people you run into. To love God. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, a special bond. And to love and pray for your enemies that persecute you, that are causing you trouble. In a little bit here, we're going to talk about how to actually get there. I don't want to leave you without any practical help. Because, man, How are we going to get there? You know what I'm saying? We need something in here in order to be able to get to that place and have it be real. But before we do that, let's talk about other possibilities. You can have different relationships with God than a love relationship and still believe God is real. You know, people believe God is real, but they don't necessarily love God. I mean, they know to put that down on the test. You know, when you get your theology quiz, do you love God? Yes, click. But do you love God? They're two very different things, knowing the answer and loving God. So let's look at a few options of how we can have a relationship with God other than a love relationship. Some people have a fear, a suspicion, 
type relationship with God where they're they're concerned that God's probably not that great, but he is powerful, so we better make sure to appease him in the right ways. Some people, it seems like they look at God like more of a mafia boss type. If I don't do what he wants, he's going to get me. So I better be careful. Why would people be under that impression? Well, there is that whole hell thing, right? That, like, follow me or you go to hell. You know, that's, that's pretty heavy-handed. So is God a mafia boss type who is just pushing his power around or not? Let me tell you this. Mafia boss would never sacrifice his son for you. Never, ever, ever. He would just take you out and you'd never be thought of again. Our God is just. And so justice will come. But our God is a God of love. And how does he bring those two together? Justice and love. Well, here's how. The wages of sin is death. That wage will be paid. However, since I love you, I'm going to pay and set you free from that debt. Jesus pays the price on the cross for our sin and we're set free. That's not a mafia boss. That's not someone you should fear. Understand this. 1 John 4.18. This is really, really important. If you're someone who's been uh, who's grown up in a, a shame-based, fear-based religious environment where you had better deal with God the right way and there's lots of that kind of darkness. Look at this. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the finish of wisdom, but it is the beginning. It should motivate you. A good fire and brimstone sermon should get you like, how do I fix this? That should be the, the proper response. Now, what does it say here? 1 John 4:18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Can, can fear be driven out if it's not there? No, there is fear. Fear of God, fear of punishment, understanding the situation. Perfect love, however, casts out that fear because the punishment is taken care of. We don't have to be afraid of the, the judgment punishment of God, we are free from that. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We're made perfect by realizing that we are forgiven, that we stand in the righteousness of Christ, not in our own righteousness. And so we don't have to be afraid of the judgment of God. The fear of God melts away because of the love of God. So we want to go from a fear relationship with God into a love relationship with God. Another type of relationship people can have is a distant or indifferent relationship with God. That's when they only deal with spiritual things at funerals and maybe the occasional holiday. You know, every now and again. But they don't really want to be bothered with it on a regular basis. (laughs) 
My 25th wedding anniversary is coming up next summer. Yeah, come on. Some people can put up with a lot. Uh, Now, I should probably do something good, right? I should probably be thinking about that ahead of time because it's important. I got to do something good. She's put up with me. You know, it'll be 25 years. That's pretty impressive. And so I should do something. What if I got her a card on the front? You know, it said, To my lovely wife, Trinette, on our 25th wedding anniversary. And you open it up, and it says, I acknowledge your existence. (laughs) Would that be a love relationship? No. Why do we think that's sufficient between us and God? I acknowledge your existence. Now leave me alone. I got a life to live. That's an indifferent, distant relationship with God. Just sort of having, well, he's real, in the back of your mind, is not the type of relationship we should have. We need to cultivate a love relationship with the living God. Another type of relationship is a transactional relationship with God. Have you been there? Hey, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll go to church for a mo- I'll go to church for three months in a row. Lord, if you get me out of this one, I will read my Bible at least once a week, once a month at least. You know, it, it, it's a transaction. You're trying. You got the thing you need to get accomplished. There's God. Come on, help me out. It's a transactional relationship with God. It's a bargaining relationship. It's not a love relationship. Now, in a love relationship, there can be transactions. Right? Like when my kids were little. I love them now, but they're big. Uh, When they're little, you know, you love them, but you also take care of their needs and there's certain transactions, you know. There's clean your room, you get a treat, whatever. You know, there's, there's transactions that can happen. But love is, they didn't get treats for cleaning their room. But anyway, (laughs) he's like, man, I got, I got left behind. But anyway, um, a transactional relationship with God is just an unfortunate, shallow relationship. We won't, we don't want to be there. We want to rest in God's love and be loved and love God not have it be a transactional type relationship. So we want to get out of those wrong types of relationships and into a love relationship with God. Now, how about our general attitude towards others? This would be the categories of love your neighbor, love your brother and sister in Christ, love your enemy, having that attitude of love. What are some other types of attitudes that Christians can have that aren't a love attitude, a love towards other people. Well, uh, there can be the prideful attitude. Have you met a prideful, arrogant Christian in your life? That's a rough one. I don't, that seems like an oxymoron to me. I don't think it even makes sense. But I've met people like that. They're just, they're just all about doing it right. And they're pretty sure they've got it all down. I don't think that's okay. We don't want to be prideful people walking around in this world. That's a serious problem. Kind of akin to that is the hyper-specific critical types. You know what I mean? The hyper-specific. 
this is the way that it has to be. I, uh, I enjoy asking people what sorts of movies they let their kids watch. Because you will get very strong answers. Well, we would never let our kids watch this. But this one's okay. And then you go to the next family. And the one that was okay for the first... Oh, that's of the devil. But this one's perfectly fine. So the one that the other... You know, and everybody's got this mixed up thing. And it's all different for everyone. And so if you come out guns blazing with your very specific ideas of how things are supposed to work, there's going to be a tremendous amount of conflict. And you're going to be very critical of other people and the way they do things. Instead of being hyper-specific, let's just let some stuff go. 1 Peter 4.8 is hugely important. It says this, above all, above what? How important is this? This is a big one. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Love covers over a multitude of sins. It means when you love someone, if they're not perfect, it doesn't get you all bent out of shape. You're able to just let it go. Love covers over a multitude of sins. They don't have to be perfect. We're to love each other as Jesus loves us. Does he expect us to be perfect before he's going to give us any praise and acknowledgement? Perfect first. And until then, I'm going to point out everything you're doing wrong. No. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Yeah, guess what? All of us do stuff wrong. Let it go. Let it go. Another type of general attitude people can have is burned out and depressed. Have you met burned out and depressed Christians? Did you know that's not okay? I'm not going to blame you for it. I'll give you a hug. But burned out and depressed is not the abundant life that God has for us. A burned out, depressed Christian is not going to be a light in this world. Let me tell you this. Because this is very important. You know how the Israelites had to fight battles to enter into the promised land? They were like giants and big, big, scary people. They had to go to war to enter the promised land. Each one of us has battles to fight in order to get into abundant life. It's not just going to happen. We have to go to war. We have to fight. We have to take the land. If you don't, you'll get run over. And that's not where you want to be. Now, you, you wage war the way the Lord wages war. You, you, use, you know, love is God's secret weapon. But understand this, just because you get saved and pray the sinner's prayer doesn't mean your life is all of a sudden going to go smooth. You will have battles to fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take the land. Then you can have abundant life and you can have extra to share with others. Because if you're beat down and depressed and crushed, you can't love other people. You, you, can't, even, you can't even get enough strength to get up yourself. We need abundant life so that we can love others, not be burned out and depressed. 
And here's the deal. Burned out and depressed is not God's will for your life. Do you understand that? I'll make sure you know that. One of the things that people do is they look at their situation and think God must want it that way. Almost universally, no. <laughs> he doesn't want your life to be the way it is. He wants it better. You've got to fight. You've got to take it. Burned out and depressed is, is a place to get free from. Another general attitude that we want to battle against is self-involved and indifferent towards others. Self-involved and indifferent towards others. Um, love is not the absence of hate. Love is the presence of love. If someone loves you, they notice you, right? Isn't that one of the, when you're talking about romantic love, oh, I saw her from across the room and, you know, noticed. Love notices. If we're to love others, we can't be just in our own little world, all consumed with our own issues and our own life and Thinking about ourselves, we can't be self-absorbed. We have to actively love others. We have to look out. We have to notice. Love is active. What if we get this wrong? What if we're not people of love? Then we're in trouble, right? It endangers the entire mission if we're not people of love. So then here's the question. What if you're just not there? Now what do you do? What if you're just not there? And I mean, let's be honest. Because pretending doesn't do anybody any good. What if you're just not there? The two main... <laughs> this is a bit tongue-in-cheek. But the two main Christian responses to if you're just not there, first one is blame and shame and all that stuff. Well, you'd better get there then, because there's something wrong with you. Is that going to help us in this situation? No, it pulls you into those, you know, hypercritical stuff and, and all those, those messy things, the fear stuff. Uh, the, the shame gospel does not help us with this. And it really doesn't help us with a whole lot. So I don't think that's going to work. How about intellectualism and theology if we just can we think ourselves into this understand enough tenets boy this is a heart thing not a head thing right so how are we going to do this how are we going to actually succeed because if you're not there and this is the greatest commandment we're dealing with the most important thing that if we can't get it endangers the entire mission we got to be able to get it how do we do that I know of one way. Seriously, I know of one. And that's it. And I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to talk about this as the, as the prayer team stands up front. The end of the, you know, after I close the, the service, there will be time for personal prayer. Because I think with this, we need a touch from God. We need divine intervention to be able to succeed at this. And I think that it's best put in 1 John 4.19 where John says this, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. 
So in order to be people of love, it's not about gritting your teeth and conjuring up some love. It's about letting your guard down and allowing God's love to hit us. If we're going to be people of love, we have to be people that are loved. So we need an awareness, a spiritual understanding that we are loved by God. A revelation that we're not just accidental people wandering this earth, you know, part of chance. But we were created with a specific purpose, with God's care and His love is over us. He knows your name. He loves you. He's got things for you. He's got eternal life for you. To know that God loves you and to really get that puts His love in our hearts. Then we can love Him back. Then we can love our neighbors. Then we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And man, if we get enough of that, we got enough extra to love our enemies too. It's the only way I know. When I start getting, you know how that is, you get them heart problems. I just need to be loved by God more. I need to be aware of it more. And the other stuff doesn't seem to matter so much. What so-and-so is doing wrong, eh, that doesn't matter. Oh, this person's mean, yeah, but wow, do they need the Lord. We need that love in our hearts first then we can let it out. So let's pray together and let's believe God for a touch. Let's believe God for for a miracle, a revelation of His love. We've got to give up on being strong enough. We've got to give up on deserving God's love. We've got to give up on pretending and Give up on the walls we've put up. Give up on fear. Give up on all that stuff. Just set it aside and be loved by God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know you love us. Lord, I know you love each individual in this place. And Lord, we need your love in our hearts. So we... We take those barriers and we just set them aside. Lord, the calluses, the the fears, the coping mechanisms, the all that stuff, we just set it aside and come before you. Lord, let your love shower upon us right now. Let us get a revelation of how much you care, of how much you love us. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to know it. Lord, I I pray your, your forgiveness would just rain down on us and we wouldn't worry about who we are and what we've done and just that would just wash away and we would just be in your love. Lord, I pray your unconditional love would just flood over us and that we would know your love never fails. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord.
Lord, as you, as you put your love in our hearts, as we receive that, Lord, I pray it would just well up that we could be at peace. And Lord, we could have love to share. Lord, that we could love you back. That's all you ask. You don't ask us to initiate. We just need to love you back. And Lord, help us to be able to love others. Pour that love into us so that we just let it out. We love our families. We love our coworkers and our uh, classmates. Those who are causing us trouble, Lord, just let your love overflow. And Lord, bless us, encourage us, help us to stand strong for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can come on down for personal prayer. doesn't matter what the prayer need is. Physical healing, you want forgiveness of sins, whatever. Uh, come on down, receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. We're going to have cake. Have some cake. Enjoy Good Hope Church's birthday.